hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Well, thank you and welcome to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. So glad you could join us today. Today, I want to talk a little bit about our investment philosophy, the potential tax bill, and of course, stocks. My goal is to give you at least one concrete idea, one concrete idea that you can take away and do your own research on and see if it's appropriate for you. You don't buy something just because you heard it on the podcast or you read it in a magazine, you always need to do your own research. You know, I had expected the Republicans in Congress to deliver on their pledge to cut taxes, especially after failing to repeal Obamacare back in April. But I thought the process would drag out until early next year. Apparently, I'm wrong. As we sit now, the Senate and House tax reform bills need to be reconciled. I don't think that there'll be much drama here because both are broadly similar. I think the big issue now is how the legislation will affect the economy and the markets. The Joint Committee on Taxation, and I'm just going to call them the JCT from now on, the Joint Committee on Taxation, which is a congressional committee, estimated back in November, the original Senate version of the bill would raise the level of GDP by an average of eight-tenths of a percent over a 10-year period. Since the bill is front-end loaded, with several of the provisions expiring or phasing out over the first five years, I would guess you would expect GDP to rise somewhere between two-tenths and three-tenths of a percent in 2018 and 2019. Now, this isn't huge, and it probably explains why the bond market reaction has been fairly muted to it. The bigger impact is going to show up in corporate profits because the final bill will likely reduce corporate taxes by somewhere around $350 billion over the next 10 years, and thereby raising corporate after-tax cash flows, and I'm guessing somewhere around 2.5%. It seems to me that with the market being up around 18% so far this year, the market has already priced this in. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see some profit taking over the next couple of weeks. If a correction does occur, I think it represents an opportunity to buy. The likely beneficiaries are going to be the financials and the industrials. And let's take a look at this. The headlines have been all about the reduction in corporate tax rates and the repatriation of foreign earnings. But what I think is being missed is the likely provision allowing for immediate expensing of capital investment. Unlike the reductions in tax rate, U.S. firms only benefit from this change when they deploy capital on qualified property and equipment at home. Yes, the tax code already allows for accelerated depreciation of CapEx, but, but this reform, it brings it forward, and I think it drives the next leg up in capital spending, which benefits, you got it, the industrials. Now, that's pretty straightforward. I also think the financials benefit from higher loan growth to finance the outsized demand for the capital goods. 
they're and they've also been benefiting from more bank deregulation. I think it's a good time for the financials. I've been getting questions from people asking me if it's time to sell. Is it time to sell and get out? Well, all good things come to an end, right? I just think it's too early. I'll tell you my attitude is I'd rather miss out some of the upside rather than get caught in a downdraft any day. But again, I just think it's too early to start lightening up. And I'll lay this out at our annual seminar coming up next month. But I think the economy falls into recession sometime in 2019. And markets are pretty good about sniffing out a recession before it happens. In general, the lag time between when markets peak and when a recession begins tends not to be very long. The past three recessions saw the market peak on average four months before. In fact, history suggests that the so-called seventh and eighth innings, which probably is where we're at now, but the seventh and eighth innings of a business cycle expansion are most often the most profitable. The S&P 500 has delivered an average annualized real total return of 14.2% since 1950 in the 13 to 24 months prior to a recession. So if I'm right, well, we're in the sweet spot here. Stocks only begin to underperform in a meaningful way six months before a recession, and they continue to underperform into the initial phase of the downturn. So getting out of stocks more than six months in advance of a downturn would have been a mistake. That's based off of history. The bottom line is, with recession at least another year away, in my opinion, it's too early to get bearish on stocks. But with that said, I'm going to let the fundamentals drive my investment decisions, not my market guessing. Listen, we need to step away, take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about our investment philosophy, and I'm going to give you an idea that you can take away and do your own research on. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. We are back in just a moment. You've worked hard, you've saved and invested along the way. Now you wanna make sure all your hard work pays off so you can do what matters most to you, whether it's giving back to your community or ensuring a safe, comfortable retirement, it's never too late to start planning. Now's the time to get the advice you deserve. Hi, this is Eric Whiteman of the XML Financial Group. If you want someone who can help you navigate the investment landscape, then please visit us at our website xmlfg.com or call us at 301-770-5234. Well, thank you and welcome back to this edition of Common Sense Investing. I'm your host, Eric Whiteman, partner here at the XML Financial Group. Hey, if you're looking for a conservative value manager to help you plan and invest for your future, well, check us out at xmlfg.com. Once again, it's xmlfg.com. If you have a question for the show, well, email us. It's podcast, which is plural, at xmlfg.com. Before we went to the break, We were talking about the markets and are they expensive? Should we sell or not? You know, just because you think the market is expensive, 
doesn't mean that there aren't any inexpensive quality companies out there. You just have to work a whole lot harder to find them. Here's a few things I want you to keep in mind. Number one, don't go chasing an investment just because it's going up. It's one of the worst things you can do. You want to make sure you're going to maintain your margin of safety. In other words, once you find a good company, you have to decide what you want to pay for it. What's a reasonable price? I like to say I'm trying to buy a dollar for 50 cents. And if I could buy a dollar for 50 cents and turn around and sell it for a dollar and a quarter, a dollar and a half, well, I'd do that all day long. Well, that's actually what I try and do all day long. But finding those deals in a rising market gets more and more difficult the higher the market goes. And we're in this kind of blow off phase where the market continues to overshoot. So don't bend. Don't give in on your pricing just because you're not finding the value you want. Maintain your discipline and keep looking. Be patient. I tell you, it becomes a lot easier when everyone is panicked and running for the hills. We'll find a whole lot of bargains at that point. It also works in reverse. If you if one of your holdings is becoming egregiously overpriced, well, you may want to step back and take some money off the table. If someone is willing to pay you more than what something is worth, then you might want to consider taking their offer. I don't talk too much about the sell side because it depends a lot on different things. But when you make an investment, I would suggest you have a pretty good idea of what you want out of it over the long run. So you're not forced with a tough decision later. You should have your exit strategy in place and that should be done before you buy it. I have what I call core holdings. These are stocks that I buy with the intention of holding them forever. That's the main part of the portfolio, the core holdings. There are, in my opinion, very few companies worthy of being considered a core holding. There may be five or six of them. When they become really expensive, I might sell a little bit. And when they become inexpensive, well, I'll go back in and I'll add to them add to them in my portfolio. With a core holding, I'm also willing to pay up a little bit more because again, my intention is to hold them forever. And by paying an extra dollar or two, isn't really going to make all that much difference over the 20 year time period. I'm going to own them. So number one is stay focused on value. Number two, have a plan. And I mean a real plan and commit to it. If you're building a house, you get blueprints. If you decide to challenge yourself and run a marathon or what have you, then you come up with a training program. If at some point you want to retire, and I'll put retirement in quotes here because retirement means so many different things to so many different people. But if you want to retire at some point, you need a plan. The plan is the foundation. It tells you what you need to do savings wise And it tells you what your investments need to do for you. Once you know this, then you can start to develop your asset allocation of stocks, bonds, and cash. If you don't need to take a lot of risk, well, then you shouldn't. If you only need a 4% rate of return, you should build the portfolio that way to outperform your plan. Since it's football season and I saw the Miami beat 
New England. I'm a Miami fan. I'm going to give you a sports analogy. If your favorite team is winning four to nothing in the first half, do you think they're going to come out in the second half and start throwing Hail Marys? No, no. They're going to play smart. They're going to play more defense and just try not to blow the lead. The goal is to win the game, not to score as many points as you can. To sum it up, have a plan. Turn the invisible into the visible. Don't be afraid. Develop a reasonable asset allocation with the goal being to meet or exceed your plan with an appropriate amount of risk, of course. Studies show you are much more likely to succeed if you have a written plan. Number three, and this ties directly into number two, have a reasonable asset allocation. And when I say that, I mean stocks, income, and cash that are going to help you outperform your plan. You can only find out what a reasonable allocation is after you do the plan and know what you need to achieve over the long run. And it gives you a sense of what risk you need to assume. Number four, I want you to be patient. I already talked a little bit about this, but you need to be patient. Don't expect to have an investment pay off right after you buy it. Own good companies based off their fundamentals and exercise patience. Okay, so there's four for you. Let's talk about a stock. This is one I haven't talked about in a while. It's Cisco, symbol CSCO. And right now it's trading about $38 and pays a really nice 3% dividend. And I'm talking about when I say Cisco, I'm talking about the telecommunications equipment maker, not the food company distributor. They make the switches and the routers and all those good things that companies like AT&T and Verizon need to build out their networks. Now, when I look at Cisco, I think Cisco is relatively cheap. It's a good company, but I tell you, I don't think it's a great company, but that's just my opinion. I think that longer term they can grow in the 5 or 6% range. And when you add in that decent dividend, which right now sits about 3%, well, you have a pretty good total return. 5% growth, 3% dividend, that's 8% total return. That's, pretty good, uh, that's a pretty good risk-reward scenario, in my opinion. I tell you, the revenue has been on decline for the last couple of years, But that's because Cisco is going through some changes. They're changing their business model, a lot like Oracle did. Oracle reports earnings uh, Thursday after the close, I believe. But Oracle has changed their business model too. Cisco is becoming less dependent on one-time sales, meaning they used to sell hardware at on this one-off basis and earn all the money up front to where now they're pivoting and they're focused on software-driven networking and security and data center solutions, which are all sources of reoccurring revenue. So lower revenue up front, but longer lasting. They're becoming a more software-centric type of business. So during this transition, from a one-off sales to a reoccurring revenue model, you would expect some volatility in their revenues. At the current price, like I said, $38, they're trading at roughly 15 times next year's estimated earnings of, I'm guessing about $2.50. And 
they're trading at roughly 70% of what the average stock in the value universe, value line universe is trading at. I look at the value line, I see earnings growth over the last five years has been about seven and a half percent. Maybe they achieve that rate going forward, but you know what? I'd rather be conservative and discount it. Again, let's say they're going to earn or grow earnings five or 6% per year going forward. You know, that isn't a bad number. What they're doing and what I really like about Cisco is that they're generating a ton of free cash flow. They're generating a lot of cash right now. They have more than $14 a share in cash on their balance sheet. And if you use that money and you pay off all the long-term debt, Well, they still have about $9 a share in cash and they're generating close to $3 a share in free cash flow a year. So they have nine on the books and they're generating three a year. That's nearly an 8% free cash flow yield. I like that. So if you look at this, about 30% of their market cap is in cash. That's after paying off the long-term debt. And if you want to strip out that $9 in cash and say the stock is now oh trading about $28 net of cash and they're earning $250 in earnings, well, then the stock is net of cash trading at 11 or 12 times operating earnings. That, in my opinion, is cheap. Value line gives them an A++ for the balance sheet. And balance sheets are important, especially going forward. They get 100 for earnings predictability, which is the highest you can get, and a one for safety. They get all top scores from ValueLine. And I would argue you would pay up for a quality company like that, not one that is trading in the market right now is 11, 12 times operating earnings net of cash. That seems pretty darn cheap to me. Investors aren't paying up for the quality. I think Cisco is a buy under $36. It's simple CSCO paying that nice 3% dividend. Listen, we've come to all the time that we have. We're going to need to step away. We'll be back next Wednesday with fresh ideas. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.